All right, we're in lesson two today, guys. We're going to look at, remember last week we looked at some introductory material and we said that a key verse for understanding this book is chapter 1, verse 19, in which basically write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and which will be. So what we're going to be looking at over the next two weeks is that first part the things you have seen, which is actually chapter 1. So we're in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, and uh, we're going to go through this today, and next week we'll look at chapter 1 and look at the second section. So let's start off with verses 1 to 3, which this is what's known as the prologue. John writes, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Okay, let's, first of all, let's look at the purpose. Uh, the first thing is, I want you to see, is that the purpose is to reveal to believers the things that must take place. The purpose of this book is to reveal to you and I the things that must take place. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you right off the bat, this book is, is prophetic. It's a prophetic book, and prophecy is not necessarily specific. So it's not going to give you a specific time. It's not going to give you specifics as to what's going to occur, when it's going to occur. It's not going to tell you that at all. It's going to give you a general picture of what's going to take place. Now, sometimes the picture is specific, and, but it's going to be specific in a way of prophetically. You're not maybe are going to understand, but it's going to be something that you will have an understanding of concerning what will come. All right? So, the purpose is to reveal to believers the things that must take place. Now, there's a word that's used in the passage that we looked at, and it's the word shortly. The word shortly means that which occurs suddenly. He, the writer is using a word, and sometimes this has confused people, and this is sometimes why the critics say this cannot be true, is because John is writing these things, and he's saying that these things are going to take place shortly. That's what our English translation is. However, when you look at the root meaning of the word in its original language, it actually means suddenly. So the point he's going to make here is, is that you and I need to have an understanding the purpose of this book is to give you an understanding of the things which are going to take place, and when they happen, they're going to happen suddenly. So don't misunderstand the word shortly. In fact, let me help you to understand it a little bit. I have four kids. And here lately I've been hearing this. I'll say to them, Hey, I need you to go outside and take the garbage outside. And here's what they'll say. In a minute... One second. Now, how long is that minute or second, folks? It's not that day. 
Yeah, do, do, do you know what I'm saying? It, time is relative in their mind. This is what we're trying to understand. We're not talking about a specific time. I want you to understand the point is, is that it's going to happen, what? Suddenly. Suddenly, not shortly. All right? Here's the word. The source. The source of this revelation is God the Father. Look at what it says in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is what Jesus is sharing with John. But notice where Jesus is getting it from. Which God gave him to what? Show his servants. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. John is writing the revelation of Jesus Christ. This revelation that Jesus is showing to John, who gave it to him, folks? Huh? Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. Now, why did he give him it? Why did God give it to Jesus? We should already, Just look at the passage. It's self-explanatory. To show his servants. Whose servants? Jesus' servants. Now, who's Jesus' servants, folks? Huh? Us. Okay, so show us. So the source of this revelation is God the Father. For you. Now let's just stop for a moment. Okay. So let's remember something here now. A lot of times when we get to the book of Revelation, we have this concept that it is a book that only scholars understand. We have this concept that it's a book that only people who have some sort of theological and biblical training can understand it, and it's for them to help you to understand. We have this concept that it's only for a few select gurus, prophecy gurus, who sometimes delve off into selecting dates, because they're the ones focused on prophecy, they're the only ones who can understand this book. Do you, you agree with me? Sometimes we get into that line of thinking, don't we? That's a wrong line of thinking. Because this book was not written for a select few. This book was written for who, folks? You. So it's written so that you will be able to understand. It's supposed to help you have an understanding of the future and what's going to take place. Remember what I told you last week? That a lot of times people are afraid of this book. You know what I'm talking about? They're afraid of this book. That's because they think this book is some kind of special book. Ooh, you know, and that only a select few understand it. But have you noticed the select few that we think understand it, how often they're proved what? Wrong. This book is for you and I. It was written for you and I. Now, look at how this book was given. There's a transmission here. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. He's giving it to John, but how does he give it to John? How does he communicate this revelation to John? Look with me, verse 1, notice what it says. And he sent and signified it by, what? His angel to who? His servant John. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus Christ communicated the revelation through an angel. This was communicated to John through an angel. Now, let's look at who the recipient is. We're going to see that in the last part of verse 1. 
and the first part and, 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 and verse 2 here. To his servant, John, verse 1, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. So here's what I want you to see. First of all, the recipient, the revelation was revealed to the Apostle John. This book that you are going to see here is not just some crazy book. This book was given to the Apostle John. Now, here it's going to describe John, because sometimes you might be thinking, well, okay, so it was an angel. Jesus gave it to an angel. Well, excuse me. God gave it to Jesus, who gave it to an angel, who gave it to John. Surely somewhere in there there's a problem. That's what a skeptic would say. Somewhere, John must have messed it up. He maybe didn't get it all right. Well, here's what I want you to see. The text tells us about John. John was a faithful witness to all that he saw and heard. So the text right off the beginning says, this was given to John, and this is who John is. John was faithful in writing what he saw and heard. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's not like you got to, you know, this is not something that you can question here. This is the revelation that was given to John, and he is writing down what was given to him, what he saw and heard. Now, there's a blessing here. There's a blessing in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Blessed is he who reads... And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. All right, so let's look here. First of all, to the one who reads and hears. Here's the blessing. The one who takes to heart the revelation will be blessed. This is an important book for your life, folks. If you take to heart the things that are written in here, you will be blessed. Now, let's stop for a moment. You say, how in the world is this book that tells us about how everything's going to end be a blessing to me? How's that going to be a blessing if I take that to heart? How, how am I going to be personally blessed by reading about the destruction of this world? How am I going to be blessed by that? Well, let me remind you of something. Remember last week? Remember I told you that there are basically two themes throughout this book. One theme is the lack of repentance on the part of unbelievers, therefore their destruction. But there is a theme and really a purpose for you and I as believers, and that purpose is perseverance. That in spite of what this world has to offer, which it offers a lot of pain, in spite of the hardships and of all the difficulties that we're going to face, and are we going to face them, folks? Yes. If you don't think you're going to face hard times, you're deceived. Bottom line. And the older you get, the more you realize that. It doesn't get better. It doesn't get better. I mean, that's just reality. And so here's the reality. Here's the other thing I want you to see. You are being encouraged by this book to persevere. In, spite, in fact, to persevere in light of what's coming. You say, what's, what's coming is terrible. Yes, but persevere, overcome, because you have a hope. You have a hope because if you know Jesus, if you're His, there is chapter 20 and 21, which talk about paradise, 
which talk about life with Him, hold on. See, the purpose of this book is to encourage you in spite of all the difficulties. So when He says, Blessed is the one who hears and reads these words, if you take them to heart, if they strengthen you, because that's the purpose of it, to strengthen you in spite of the hardships you're facing, you're going to be encouraged to hold on, to hold on to what's coming. Now, here's the other thing. There's a blessing also. The one who responds in obedience will what? Will be blessed. There are some things in this book. The book is going to encourage you, the reader, to do. It's going to encourage you to persevere. It's going to encourage you to overcome. It's going to encourage you to hold fast. It's going to encourage you to respond to the one who's on the throne. And when you do those things, listen to me, you're going to be blessed. You understand? Because this world is trying to mold you and bend you into its image. Do you understand what I'm saying? How many of you realize that? It's called the ultimate peer pressure. You guys remember peer pressure from school? He thought, man, I'm out of there. It's over. It ain't over. It still happens every day. It happens at work. It happens on TV. I mean, it happens. You're trying to be molded. The world's trying to mold you into a system. This book tells you what's going to happen to that system. It's going to be wiped out. And it's saying to you that if you're obedient, if you hold fast, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. Now let's look at the salutation. Look at verses 4 through 8. John is writing here, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to God and Father, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Okay, so we're going to focus the rest of our time on this salutation. So first of all, the author. The human author is John. Remember, there's two authors here. This is the revelation that Jesus received from God, and so this is being given to John. So there is two authors here, but the human author is John. John the Apostle. All right? Now, the recipients, the revelation was given to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Now, there are seven specific churches, and we're going to look at those in a few weeks here, in Asia Minor. Now, this is a good place for me to stop because I want you to understand something. Remember what I said to you. Who was this book written to? Was it written to a special elite group of people who have an understanding of all things? Who was it written to? Us. 
Uh, but specifically, when it was written, when John wrote this revelation down, who was it written to? tells you right there in the text. Seven churches of Asia Minor. Let me give you another example here. The language in which it was written in was called Koine Greek. Now, Koine Greek is very different from classical Greek of that time. Koine Greek is a street language. It is a language of the common people. So it's words used by the common people of that day. So if you're a guru in that day, an elitist, what are you going to be reading? What kind of Greek are you going to know and read things in? Classical. Yeah, I mean, because that's what special documents are written in. How much are you going to pay attention to something that's written in just common everyday talking to people? No, I mean, it's, it's just something written. So this book was written for common people. Now, I want you to understand, why am I making a big deal out of this? Here's the, here's the reason why, because this came up last week. This book was written for the people of that time, for them to understand. What happens is today, we try to make things from the book fit the way we think. That's the danger. So, for instance, it was brought up last week that the church of Philadelphia re represents some church today. That can't be true. That wouldn't make sense to the people who were believers in Philadelphia. Oh, by the way, this is for some church 2,000 years later. doesn't say that in the text, does it? So when you get to the churches in the book... It's specifically for them. So it's, it's written for them. Now, we can look at it and gain an understanding if we understand where they're coming from. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the whole purpose of it. So, so you can't make it, say, like some people say, that seven churches represent seven ages of the church age, seven periods of the church age. Well, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, you can mold it to that, but that's not what it's saying. It's for the average person. Now, how, and only a guru would come up with that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Only some scholar would come up with that. But that's not written for scholars. It's written for who, folks? You and churches at that time. Okay? You say, well, maybe those churches were filled with gurus. No, they weren't. How do you know that, George? Well, if I go to 1 Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthian church, there are not many wise among you. Not many strong, not many prominent. God has chosen the weaker things to confound the strong. Who's that for, then? Who's this for? Every average day people. Do you understand what I'm saying? For you and I. All right? Now, let's go on. There's a greeting here. John wishes the readers peace and grace. Now, look with me, verse 4 there. Grace to you and peace from him. This is a very common greeting. You'll read this in a lot of the epistles. Very common greeting in the church of that day. You know, if, you, if I was to meet Brad here, I'd say, Grace and peace to you, Brad. You know, that would be a common greeting. We'd say, Hello! You know what I'm saying? They would be grace and peace, and they would kiss each other. We're not going to do that, Brad. Okay? All right. Okay? All right. But that's what they did. Aren't you glad culture has changed? Now, here's the source of the blessing. The blessing is from God 
who is eternal. Look with me at verse 4. Grace and peace to you from Him. And this is how He describes Him. Who is and who was and who is to come. What is that saying? From Him who has always existed and will always exist. The eternality of God. So He's giving us a blessing from God who is eternal. God the Father who is eternal. Now, the seven spirits in this book refer to the Holy Spirit. So he's bringing a blessing from God the Father and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. The seven spirits here refers to the Holy Spirit. And so he is bringing a blessing from himself and the seven spirits. So this is from a blessing. It's really a Trinitarian blessing because we're going to see here that there's also a blessing from Jesus here for us. So it's from God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and then verse 5 and 6, from and from, look at verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. But here's how he describes Jesus Christ. First of all, he describes him as a faithful witness. What does that mean? Jesus is the prophet. When you talk about a faithful witness, you're talking about one who is proclaiming truth. So here it's describing Jesus as the faithful witness, the, the prophet. Now, here's what it says. He also describes him in verse 5 as the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? Jesus is the resurrected one. Do you understand? He is the firstborn of those who would experience resurrection. Now, who are those who will experience resurrection, folks? Believers. See, he is the firstborn. So when you want to understand what your body is going to be like later on, you just need to read the Bible. What do you mean, read the Bible? Well, it gives you... In fact, we're going to see a picture of Jesus here in a moment, next week, in this very same chapter. But if you read the Gospels, you'll read about the resurrected body of Jesus that it's able to pass through walls. I mean, they're in a room locked up, and there's, boom, there's Jesus. He's in a glorified body. You understand? Now, I can't completely understand that. But I'm going to tell you something. It's a whole lot different than this old thing I'm wearing right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it aches to get out of bed. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know? And, you know, get suntan and peel. and You know, you don't have to worry about that later on. Okay? But he is the firstborn. He's the resurrected one. Now, here's another one. This is good for all of us to be reminded of. He is ruler over kings. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus is sovereign over the affairs of men. Can I, can I help some of you here today? Let me help you. Some of you were freaked out when Bush was president, and some of you are freaked out now that Obama's president. And, and so what that means is that some of you here get freaked out with whoever's the president because you're so afraid of what they're going to do, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and they can do something, but I want you to understand that there's somebody even more supreme. And he's the one who controls the affairs of men. And all of history, all of what you are experiencing is moving. Do you understand? It's all moving to what? What's it moving to, folks? The second coming of Jesus. And who's in charge of that? Obama? Bush? Praise the Lord, no. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is the one. In fact, when we get to chapter 4, you're going to really see who's in charge of it. Do you understand? 
because he is the one who's going to set in motion the things that will take place. So it's very important for us. Don't get freaked out if your guy doesn't get elected in. Because there is one who is ruler over rulers. There is a king of kings and lord of lords. Don't get freaked out. Don't lose sleep. I remember when I was younger, I'd lose sleep over national elections. It's either that or it was a bad, hot Italian sausage or something. But I mean, do, do you know what I'm saying? You'd lose sleep. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? We worry. Jesus didn't leave the throne, folks. He's in control, and that's what John's trying to tell us here. He's also referred to as Redeemer. Jesus' sacrifice has given us salvation because of His love. He's Redeemer. He's given us what? His salvation because of His love. He's sacrificed. Now, here's another thing. He's made us kings and priests. What does that mean? He has made us royalty. Do you believe you guys here, if you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are royalty. You are kings and queens, princesses. You, some of you wanted to be a princess. You are. Prince. Okay? And I'm not talking like Prince the singer. Thank goodness we're not like him. Okay? But, I mean, you are princes. You are royalty. You are kings and priests. The Bible over and over will describe you as that. Isn't that wonderful? Don't have, some of you have problems with your self-image. You don't need to. It really doesn't matter what other people think of you. It matters what Jesus thinks of you. And what Jesus thinks of you is that you are royalty. Do you understand? He has made you priests and kings. And then he gives a benediction here. John praises the Lord for Christ and his work. He praises the Lord for Christ and his work. Now, in verses 7 and 8, there is a proclamation. Here's what the proclamation is. And you might, you might mark a star by this one because this is sure. John proclaims that Christ will return. You don't need to wonder if that's going to happen. It's reality. He's coming. He is coming. This is reality. When is it going to happen? I have no clue. But then again, it isn't for me to know when. I just need to be ready for it. That's the reality. That's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't want us to be interested in when it's going to happen. We just need to be ready for it. You understand what I'm saying? So then, notice with me now, in verse 7, it tells us the reaction of the world. You know what? You know, it's going to tell us the excitement of the world. No, it isn't. Here's what it says. The world will mourn His coming. It's going to be a devastating thing to the world when Jesus comes back. They are going to weep. Now, you, let's stop for a moment. We've got a few minutes here. Why do you think they're going to weep? Number one, they're not ready. That's good, Steve. What else? They're wrong. Anybody want to expand upon what Bruce is saying here? They're wrong. What does that mean? They haven't followed the law, but they haven't followed His will. They've done their own thing. Do you understand? Humanity right now, those who don't believe in Christ, who have not accepted Him, the Bible very clearly says that they are in rebellion against God. So let me just stop for a while. I'll help you to understand what I'm talking about here. 
I remember as a boy, maybe you can remember this, my parents would go away and do something, they'd leave me at home. And I remember one time, my brother and I, we were 11 and a half months apart, so that was pretty close, all right? And, and we would scrap. You know, as teenage boys, you just get your older brother, that's me, get irritated with the younger brother, and you put a thumping on him. And so we would go to thumping, and one time we were thumping, and we put a hole in the hallway closet. I mean, no, excuse me, the hallway wall, boom, a hole. We stopped immediately. Now, but here's the problem. How do you hide that? You just smashed the drywall. How do you hide that? That would have often, there's no pictures in the hallway, and that would have been an awfully, so here's what I'm saying. So then when mom and dad come back, there is mourning going on at their return. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? There is, there is a grief process that's going on. They haven't even executed judgment yet, and you are mourning their return. You hear the, you hear the car pull in the driveway, and the doors slam, and you're, you're quaking. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what I want you to understand it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. Mankind has been in rebellion. And someone's coming back to set it straight. And they're not going to be ready for it. And when he comes, here, you understand right now people are deceived. The God of this world has deceived people. They don't see it. The Bible's very clear that the gospel is not veiled. But if it's veiled, it's because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. When he comes back, all the scales, all the blinders are going to be off and they're going to realize, they're going to know, and they're going to quake. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, well, I had no clue. No. They will know. And they're going to mourn. So it's not, you know what I'm saying, it's not a, it's not something, it's going to be a terrible thing. Now, here's the, here's the crazy thing. I just saw this report. Do you realize the majority of Americans, 60 plus percent, this just came out a, a, about a month ago, I think it was a Pew Research thing, 60 plus percent of Americans believe that Jesus is going to come back in the next 25 years. Do you realize that? Did you see that? I saw that. I pay attention to stuff like that. Now, 60 plus percent of Americans believe that. Now, if that's true, they believe Jesus is going to come back, why isn't our country different? Because they don't have a true concept of what happens when Jesus comes back. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because if you truly understood, you'd get your life right. Bottom line. Let's go on now. Jesus reveals himself as eternal God. Now, verse 8 is Jesus speaking here, folks. It isn't John. It's John recording what Jesus is saying. And look at what it says. I am the Alpha and Omega. Now, what does that mean, George? Well, in the Greek alphabet, the first letter is Alpha, and the last letter is Omega. It would be like Jesus saying to you and I, I am the A and the Z. I am it. I am totality. I am the beginning. In fact, that's what he says, isn't it? Look there. I am the beginning and the end. Who was, who, excuse me, who is and who was and who is to come. He's talking about his eternality. Almighty is what he says. So what I want you to see here 
is that he reveals himself as the eternal God. Period. Jesus is not some pathetic figure from history. Jesus is not just some cool teacher. Jesus is not just some guy who got a bad deal. Jesus is God. He always has existed. He will always exist. And he's coming back. Good place for us to stop, right? Next week we're going to continue on with verses 9 through 20. Again, as we look at this first part of what you have seen. So let's, let's close our time in prayer.